0: Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Groszak. It gives me great pleasure today to welcome for the first time to Viewpoints, Professor Nancy Baxter, who's the head of the School of Population and Global Health at Melbourne University, Uh, in addition to which uh, she's also the Professor of Surgery in the Department of Surgery and the Institute of Health Policy, Management and Evaluation at the University of Toronto. Not that long ago, I think it was actually 10 days ago in The Age, we saw a piece, more lockdowns ahead if we don't act now a lot's happened in 10 days um and it's great to have professor nancy baxter with us uh to to talk about that welcome welcome nancy thank you now uh, before we get into that your work as the head of school of population and global health um that's a fairly recent uh, appointment and congratulations on it nancy what does that actually entail
1: um so uh, i'm um i'm a physician i'm a surgeon uh and uh i was um I have my PhD in, in clinical epidemiology um, and have been doing research in looking at how health systems perform and uh, things that affect quality of care in the real world. And so I became um, involved more in academics and started having um, more roles in academic administration, and that and that led me uh, to to taking on this role as the the head of the school. So basically, I'm responsible for you know administering the uh, educational programs that we deliver. Our flagship being the Masters of Public Health, but we also have some fantastic other programs, including a Masters in Biostatistics, and. Uh, also kind of convening the, the research that happens uh, within the school. So we have a, a large a number of research staff um, at all levels who are uh, very, very engaged in um, uh, epidemiology and health promotion in um, uh, socioeconomic determinants of health uh, and global health as well, uh, and very strong in mental health too.
0: Mm. And you've done quite a bit of work in the area of cancer care, uh, for, for people in, in, in specific groups over, over the years too?
1: Yeah, well, primarily my research has been in, in the um, area of cancer and um, specifically the thing that I think is a, a long-standing um, thread within my career in terms of the research I've done has been screening. So I'm very interested in looking at um, things that affect delivery of screening, the effectiveness of screening uh, and that type of thing. So that's been something that I've done throughout.
0: And I'm sure there's plenty of work to be done in that field. That's one of those fields that will never end in, in, in terms of research, will it, Nancy?
1: Well, you know, it, it is interesting. Um, from, from my perspective as a as a medical intervention, it's particularly an interesting one because you're trying to prevent disease or the consequences of disease, which is very different than as a doctor what your you, your role usually is, which is, you know, someone comes to you with a problem, so, you know, they're, they're – with a symptom. So they, they have um, blood in their, in their bowel movements or something like that. So they're coming to you with a problem and you're doing the best you can to help solve the problem. Screening is very different in terms of we're saying you could in the future have this problem and this Test or this intervention is going to prevent that problem so it's it's a very different role that um, the physician or the public health service has with people uh, and uh, the It affects kind of how we weigh risks and benefits in in that uh, in that sphere because you know people are by definition healthy and have a low chance of having the actual disease you 're screening for, so it makes uh, how you weigh potential complications with the potential benefits much differently than if someone, say, comes to you in the emergency room with abdominal pain. You know, it's it's so it's Mm. a from a from a from a research perspective, it's been it's been a fascinating topic to look at.
0: Mm, And COVID-19 segues brilliantly from that, because on the one hand, uh, we're trying to deal with people who've got it, and I think at the same time, prevention down the track. Now, in the piece, Nancy, you said, the one we were just referring to that was published just a week and a bit ago, Uh, I'll, I'll take an extract. This is not where I thought we would be halfway into 2021. I'm now fearful of what the next six months will bring. Where did you think we'd be? And uh, explain the fear.
1: Yeah, so I know that um, that doesn't sound like a super optimistic um, kind of way to think about uh, our, um, and, you know, I, I am very optimistic. We're going to get through this. We're going to get to the other side. We're going to have ample vaccines. We're going to get the people of Australia vaccinated. But the problem is we have this time period between now and the end of the year that we have to get through. And, um, you know, we're relatively unprotected in terms of, you know, most of us not having even one vaccine, let alone two. And uh, we've got this new variant that's coming in. And so you have uh, kind of, uh, you know, I know um, this, some people say this isn't a race now. Everyone's saying it's a race. Um, it is a bit of a race, but it's hard to race when you when you just don't have the equipment uh, because we don't have the vaccine that we need to be able to to, to get on this race. So uh, and yet we have this kind of new variant that is more infectious and, you know, the systems that we've developed. So over the past year, we've developed some very robust systems in terms of dealing with COVID. And and they've been, you know, initially we had problems, but now they've been very effective in terms of dealing with the previous variants that we had. We were quite proud of ourselves and I think rightly so. But uh, the Delta variant has really, you know, changed the, the rules. And um, so we're now, you know, really unprepared because all of the the contact tracing, um, the you know URL code systems, all of these systems are very good, uh, and even the hotel quarantine. Although you know there've been leaks, we've we've tightened it up dramatically. But just because we have this new variant, um, you know, everything that we've set up before just isn't isn't up to task with this new variant, and we and we don't have you know the ability to. Um, get everyone vaccinated in the next two months. So we have to somehow get through this period of time where we're really um, at risk. Uh, And that's, uh, that's kind of uh, what I was trying to articulate in terms of um, being my main concern.
0: Mm. Now, you you talk in other pieces and you've spoken about uh, Melbourne's uh, continual lockdowns a little earlier this year, and you spoke you use terms such as randomness and bad luck. Um, what about politics? Does that come into this equation? You're a medical researcher, and we can talk about all the technical things that we can do better, communication, this, that, and whatever. But uh, to what extent have the waters been muddied by the politics of the per se?
1: Well, I I think, you know, there always is a political element to public health. And if you don't kind of understand and acknowledge that, you know, it's not going to be good for public health. But I would say one thing that has been disappointing to me during this is how actual real tools that can be used in public health to to fight this uh, virus have been politicized. And what do I mean by that? Well, specifically things like lockdowns. So lockdowns are a tool we know that now. Lockdowns are a tool that you 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 sometimes need to get things under control and to keep them under control. Lockdowns have been used you know all over the world right right wing governments left wing governments center governments um you know around the world people have had to resort to lockdowns, and no one jumps to a lockdown if it isn't what they think is the last resort i mean no one would do that there there are uh, you know, if you had a viable option that was going to control things, you'd, you'd take it. And so instead of treating it like a tool, like a tool that you know sometimes you 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 have you might have to use, if you hadn't used it yet, you know you have to keep it in your toolbox so that it's there if you need it. But instead, you know what we saw was uh, uh, lockdowns being politicized by state governments, by you know the Commonwealth government. And um, and then the you know New South Wales who had always talked about not going into lockdown because their contact tracing was so great when they needed to go into lockdown um, having had that rhetoric having used that politically um, it made it more difficult to go into lockdown and I think made it more difficult for the people of Sydney to really understand this was their reality because they'd been told you know for a year that uh, their contact tracing was so good they didn't need to lock down and it was just you know Melbourne was just uh, you know, uh, just uh, inept and un- unable to do do the pandemic well, um, and that was why they had to keep going into lockdown. Versus acknowledging that, you know, especially when you're dealing with a small number of cases. So once you're dealing with a widespread outbreak, you know it's going to be the COVID outbreak is going to be similar in Sydney to it what it would be in Melbourne. But when you when you're starting with a few cases, um, you know, as 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 we've seen throughout the pandemic, and even with Delta. Uh, in some cases um you know people don't spread to many people so you know we had the barbecue man in sydney who had delta we didn't even know where he got delta from and yet it didn't really go beyond him um and that was lucky and uh you don't you don't you you don't uh you you can't say that you're going to be lucky but that was lucky um but we we've had several outbreaks in melbourne that haven't started that way they've started with someone or soon into it someone who was highly infectious and gave it to, you know, a number of people. And if if it starts like that, you know, by the time you find it, it's spread quite far. And, and then you don't really have many options other than to shut things down because we're so open. Absolutely. Like when you think about how how open we are in terms of being able to go out, you know, I um, in um, May before the fourth lockdown, you know, I was going to shows that were full. So the audience was full. So, you know, these are all potential super spreader events. So when you think about it, if you've had an outbreak and you've had someone who was highly infectious at the beginning of it, who spread it to a number of people before you even knew that this outbreak was a problem, uh, if your society is quite open and free, it could spread far and wide. And that's why these circuit breakers are needed. Um, so I think that it's unfortunate that things like that, vi- viable, real, necessary tools in, in fighting COVID-19 have been, have been politicized to the point that it has had an impact on people's ability to actually use that tool.
0: Mm. Now, now you talk about a risk stratified system in approaching uh, 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 dealing with uh, COVID. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, you know, in the article, uh, I was talking about international travel. And, you know, right now, um, you know, the, the article isn't as salient right now, because uh, right now our main risk for Australia from a, uh, from an incursion of COVID, shall we call it, to, to states that don't have it, will be Sydney and New South Wales. That's going to be our most imminent risk of, uh, of exporting COVID-19 to other states. Um, but, you know, before the outbreak in uh, New South Wales or before we knew how widespread it was going to be, you know, the, the main risk really is the international travel uh, and um, the fact that we have an inadequate quarantine system in terms of the potential for leakage and that that when i'm talking about the system i am talking about from the moment someone arrives in australia to the moment they leave quarantine and probably for a few days after so there have been you know multiple leaks uh from that system and uh, despite efforts to improve um Really, we've continued to have leaks from that system, uh, and uh, and that's what we saw. That's the Sydney outbreaks due to a leak in the, in the system. The um, uh, the Melbourne outbreak is related to the Sydney outbreak. Shutting down. Um, Adelaide similarly is related to to that breach in the in the. Transport of of international travelers. So when we get back to contained again, hopefully it will be sooner than later. But when we get back to contained again, we need to think about how to do uh, the quarantine system differently and um, how to uh, reduce the risks further of of spread. And one of the things that needs to happen really is we need to think about international travelers in terms of their risk. For high risk international travelers, we need to think about the number that come in. And it needs to be based on the number that can be um, uh, housed in a fit-for-purpose quarantine quarantine um, system, and um, and for those um, um, for those lower risk. So, by lower risk, I mean people who've been vaccinated and are from countries where there's not you know, a huge outbreak. Um, we can think of alternative strategies for them that uh, that that uh, of quarantine. Perhaps the hotel quarantine system that we have now. Perhaps the um, the at home quarantine people are talking about, but there's got to be some kind of change because the system that we have, you know, especially with the Delta variant, um, the Delta variant just can take advantage of any gap, any t- the tiniest gap in the system. Delta just seems to be able to take advantage of that, and so um, you know we just can't resume the numbers of international travelers with the system that we had in place before the Sydney outbreak, something's got
0: to change. Mm, true, now Nancy, one of the, the issues and the Delta variant's an example of what could happen uh, the longer we take to get on top of uh, the, the COVID-19, it's a variant um, and viruses mutate. Um, it's, it's unlikely to be the last variant. And uh, so from a global perspective, you're an international person, what, what, should, we be, what should we be focusing on?
1: Well, I think that that's um, a great point is that this is unlikely to be the last variant. And um, one of the things that is quite concerning is that other variants will develop that are better able to evade vaccines. Um, so that's one of the things that we're, keeps people up at night. Um, but um, what I'd say is that you know, the the pandemic has played out very differently in different countries. The amount of virus circulating in, in many countries in the world uh, is very high. And, you know, so, so having a successful variant is uncommon. When you think of the millions and millions of people that have had COVID uh, throughout the world, um, you know, we don't have all that many new variants that have actually been successful, right? Because that's an unlikely thing to happen. Um, and the reason that they've That it's happened, and we've had a number of these variances because there are so many people in the world that have COVID, Um, and obviously getting it under control globally is going to be the best thing that we can do to protect ourselves locally from a new variant developing that you know changes the changes the game again. uh, it's hard to think uh, in a global perspective when we're in this national crisis. And, uh, you, know, I, I, it, you know, one half of my brain kind of thinks, well, we need to get this under control around the world. But then the other half says, you know, I'm in lockdown right now in Melbourne and I would, uh, you know, we need to prioritize uh, Australia. And, you know, we do. We need to get it under control. You know, our house is on fire. We need to get the fire out before we, we help our neighbours. Um, But we need to really think about and start actively planning for how we are good um, participants in the global effort to control COVID-19. We need to start really thinking about how we do that um, and in an active way, Uh, because unless it's controlled everywhere, um, there's going to be a new variant. Maybe it'll take two or three years, but there'll be a variant that evades vaccines and then we'll be back into the situation again.
0: Mm, and you'll be on the air talking about it yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. We'd, and we'd love you to be talking about other things um, Nancy can I thank you so much for your time and as I said off air beforehand it's people such as yourself that we need, uh, we need in the public uh, discourse uh, domain um, because there's so many people out there who I think are fearful, wondering and perhaps lacking in the sort of information they need to get from quality experts well, You're welcome Thank you. That was Professor Nancy Baxter, Head of School of Population and Global Health at Melbourne University. We'll take a break. Listeners, don't go away.